Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. So today's a, today's a very exciting Sunday, and here's why. This week is our 15-year anniversary of The Plant. And I figure that during communion, we will make a big circle outside in the rain and take communion together. I promise you I will not make us do that. Um, but it's a big day. And matter of fact, I'm very excited for this morning. Because 15 years ago, there was a small group of 28 people that said, let's see a church started in the North Bergen County area. And because of that small group of people, there is now a second campus in West Milford, New Jersey. How awesome is that? And not only that, we have helped plant over 13 other churches. And we have been moving along with what God has called us to do. And so I am so grateful, so thankful for all the things that God is up to. And I really believe the best is yet to come. I turned 50 last October, and usually when people turn 50, like, they dread getting older. I really felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, like, enjoy getting older. You will be like a fine wine. The older you get, the better life can be. And I will say that for this church. I believe that over the next 15 years, God's best is going to take place. And I believe everything that we've been doing for the last 15 years is perfect timing for what he wants to do now. And how we are going to start this series off, because I want to thank all of you for who are coming all summer for the first time. And you're like, is there a lead pastor here? Because everyone else is preaching but him. And so I took some real time off to rest. I took some time off to really be praying about what's next for the sermon series. And usually we have these about six months in advance. But this summer, the first sermon series was just not clicking. And I was like, what do you want us to speak on? And I never want to just speak just to speak. I never just want to go through a book to go through a book. I want to make sure that whatever God wants this church to do and become is only from him. And over the last, I would say, four weeks the Holy Spirit has been bringing this first sermon series together perfectly. And what we're going to talk about is the foundation of the early church. The firm foundation that the early church was built on. And when I look back, I see the foundation that the plant was built on. Oftentimes when people start organizations or companies or churches, they they have this grand vision of what they will become. And they say, we are, and they give these different scenarios of what they want to become. And as they're building their organizations or their churches or or, or their businesses, they miss the mark. And we really stepped back and said this. Let's gather in such a way that Jesus can tell us who we are supposed to be. So in 2019, I sat down. And I started asking, who are we? And there were five core values, foundations, that we have been resting on for the next five years. 
Foundations we've never preached on, but we've talked about. But more importantly, I believe the foundations we have been built on, and now it's time for us to look at these foundations in such a way to say not only who have we been, but who are we becoming. And we don't do this just out of pulling out of thin air, but more importantly, we look at the early church. Because the only church that we are supposed to represent is the early church, amen? We're not supposed to look like the Western church. We're not supposed to look like the Eastern church. We are supposed to be a reflection of the early church. And as we work through these core values, what I find so significant is that if you open to the the book of Acts, these five values are just threaded all throughout the book of Acts. And over the next five weeks, and if you were to take the book of Acts and just read it over the next three months, you're going to be like, wow, core value one, it's all throughout Acts. Wow, core value two, all throughout Acts. And for us, if we want to be the church that Jesus established, we have to learn from the first church so we can be the church that invites people to know Christ and make him known. Amen? So I want to pray, and I want to pray that this week would be the beginning foundations of what God wants to do in the next many, many years. Because the one thing that God has been doing in my life and in my heart is wanting to be part of the greatest group of people on the face of the earth. And that's the plant church. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you for a very defining Sunday. I ask you that we would be you-centered and you alone. God, I ask you that our hearts and our attitudes and our, our actions would be completely aligned with you so that we would represent who the church is so others can come to know you. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter one if you have a Bible. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. Acts chapter one. And what I want you to do is as I read Acts chapter one, I want you to think, I want you to listen for one name and one name only. Oftentimes we read, this, we read the book and people call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's actually not. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And so for us, when we put the Acts of the Apostles before the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, we make it about us. But actually, when you read the book of Acts, you see that it's all about the work of God and the people of God. So listen for one, one name. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything 
Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He, being Jesus, replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, in Mawa, and in West Milford, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while, he, while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly appeared among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday you will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Before we look at that one name that was repeated many, many times, let me give you a little background. Jesus was crucified, put to death, put in a grave, and was raised from the dead. And after that, this is what Jesus did. For 40 days, he appeared to over 500 people. 500 we oftentimes just talk about the apostles and some of the disciples, but historically speaking, if you read the historic records, Jesus purposely appeared to over 500 individuals in 40 days. That's a lot of people to meet. And while he met with them, he taught them. And he taught them about what was to come. And what we see in Acts is we see the apostle Luke who was practicing what Jesus had done for him, was discipling philosophers. Philosophers. I totally said that wrong. doesn't matter. It's okay. Just go with it. And he was discipling him and saying, record everything that I am saying. And he was telling him about what Jesus said. And I love how what Jesus says in, in Acts is everything that's about to play out. But... Jesus actually told the disciples that there's some things you will not know, but the Father will direct you. Now think about that. How many of us love control? Do I get an amen? amen. Okay, no. How many of us love control? Do I get an amen? amen. If you live in Joyzee, you love 
control. And so you are just like the disciples. And I believe that Jesus was so deliberate when he said, you will not be told everything. And part of being a disciple is learning to trust. But trust knowing that God is fully in control. And so he tells them. Jesus tells them the big things that were going to happen. Go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come. When the Holy Spirit comes, and you're going to scatter throughout the world, and you're going to share the good news. And what I love about Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11, and again, if you read Acts all the way through, there is one name that these disciples keep talking about. One name. Matter of fact, I have it highlighted. What is that name? What is that name? That name is Jesus. Because oftentimes when we open to Acts chapter 1, we're just waiting for the Holy Spirit. And yes, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God who lives and breathes and indwells us. And we are a church that strongly believes in the Holy Spirit. Do I get an amen for that? We actually had someone leave our church because we talked too much about the Holy Spirit. Literally, they just said, wow, you talk too much about the Spirit of God. I got to leave. Something weird's going to happen here. Good. Weird things happen at the plant. Do I get an aha? Uh-huh? And so, but what I love is that when you read Acts chapter 1, as much as the disciples were anticipating the Holy Spirit, who did they really want? They wanted Jesus. They wanted Jesus. As much as they knew all that the Holy Spirit was about to do, and he does tremendous things. He is the presence of Jesus. But all they wanted was Jesus. Because Jesus was the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the embodiment of God. And all they cared about was being with him. And when you look at this passage, because really what this whole book is about is the early church being established. And when you look at all the different epistles, they all point back to moments in the book of Acts. If you open up to Ephesians, you can see where Ephesians would have landed in the book of Acts. When you study the epistles, you can align the epistles with the book of Acts. But for them and for us to ever be given the Holy Spirit, it comes back to Jesus. It comes back to the Gospels. Because when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the epistles, they all point to one person. And that is Jesus. Jesus is our foundation of our faith. Everyone look out the window. Not at, not at the rain, but, but look at the new construction. We are building new bathrooms. Can we cheer that on? Yes. And ladies, I know you're cheering it on more for the men because the ladies' bathroom is horrific. Horrific. We need a new bathroom. And we're building a new kitchen. But 
before we could ever, ever build up, we have to lay the foundation. And what is that foundation built on? Concrete. And when I was looking at concrete, because everyone in the plant, if you call the plant your home church, you know that I am the most unhandy man on the face of the planet. Men mock me, they taunt me, they buy me hammers for Christmas. What am I going to do with that? Please do not buy me a circular saw. I don't know what to do with it, and this will happen, okay? So, when I was studying building foundations, I looked up concrete. And concrete is very simple, but profound. There's only four elements, cement, gravel, water, and air. I know someone's going to make a comment, well, you can use a fifth one, magnesium, whatever, but that's part of the cement. The reality is, is that there's four main elements that make up concrete. And it was so funny because I really do believe it was prophetic for this Sunday morning. Because when you study the life of Jesus... We see that there are four attributes of Christ that played a role in every single one of the disciples' lives that drew them to want to be with Jesus. Before he was put to death and after he was raised from the grave. And when Jesus went up to heaven, that they literally were here on earth, watching in the sky, terrified of what was next. Because Jesus is the foundation of humanity. And there are four aspects of Jesus that, that we see throughout the Gospels that drew the disciples to say, you are Lord. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You, you sit at the right hand of the Father. And when I think about Jesus, I, I think oftentimes as we just pull these, these passages out of the epistles that support the gospels, but, but we really don't talk about the gospel moments that were definitive for the disciples. Let me give you four. It says here in John 3.16, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Here's the problem. We really do take this, this verse out of context. We don't talk about the narrative of, of why Jesus said it, how Jesus said it. We kind of use it as a weapon against the world. That there's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son, which is completely 100% true. But what was the narrative? Why would Jesus make such a strong declaration? Let me tell you why. There was a rabbi, a high-level rabbi named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, early in Jesus' ministry, was watching and listening to Jesus' teachings. And as he was watching and listening, he realized that something in his heart was stirred to say, he might be the one. And Nicodemus went out one night 
And he found Jesus. And he tried to riddle me this with Jesus, and Jesus was just very to the point. And Jesus made this declaration. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God simplified salvation by sending himself, his son Jesus. And in sending him, he says, I'm not bringing confusion to humanity anymore. I'm bringing clarity. First service was so special. There's a young man who is not from New Jersey, but he moved to New Jersey for a sporting opportunity. And he's here because he's trying to level his opportunities for college involvement with a certain sport. And he came and first service, he gave his life to Jesus. He said, this is the year that I need to trust that Jesus has his best for me. I'm like, what the, what just happened? What just happened first service? He thought he was coming to Jersey to, to play a sport and he came to church and he was given life. And I said to this young man, I said, today, you have eternity. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. And when you believe Jesus as your Savior, it literally puts you in a posture, in a position for what Jesus said in John 10. He says this, yes, I am the gate. I am the gate to eternity. I am the gate to the Father. Those who come in through me will be saved. That word saved means rescued. That word saved means found. That word saved means brought into a place of security. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. In other words, you will be taken care of. In other words, your needs will be provided for. In other, way, in other words, the things that need to bring emotional and spiritual nutrition are through Jesus. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. This is what Jesus says. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. We live in a culture that we determine our riches and our satisfaction on the things that we can gain, the things we can get. And those things are so temporary because at any given day, they're gone. I think that's the one thing that's really scary about turning 50 is like, whoa, am I prepared for the future? Have I been preparing for the future? And I make it all about me, what I've done, what I can do. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. You see, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, 
I am your sanctifier. I have set you apart for a very specific purpose. And as you hang out with me in my pastures, doing the things that I created you for, you will always be taken care of. Sanctification is being set apart to be living in your identity as sons and daughters of God. But it's also to be set apart from those things that once destroyed you. We are set apart to him, and we are set apart from the things that once destroyed us. Jesus says there's a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy what the rich and satisfying life God has for you. I love that. Because when Jesus was teaching on John chapter 10, there was a crowd of individuals that were lost and desperate for direction. And he stopped. And he says, I am the one who leads you in this direction. And the disciples were watching, and they were listening. And they realized the more that they were with Jesus, the more rich and satisfying their lives were. Look what else Jesus says. Matter of fact, this is a moment found in Mark, and it's not going to be up behind me. That just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought. She didn't declare it. She didn't ask for it. She didn't stand on a line. She didn't go to a service. She thought in her mind as she reached out to touch Jesus, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith, your faith, your faith in who? In Jesus made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. Jesus is Savior. He is the way to the Father. I will declare the only way to God is through Jesus. Love me or hate me, he is the only way. I trust him as the disciples do. Jesus is sanctifier. He has set us apart in Christ to live in the fullness of who we are as sons and daughters of God. That each one of us, just like those two beautiful little girls, were created for purpose. Not their purpose, but for his glory. But Jesus is also healer. I love this morning saying this is a new chapter in our church. And one of the reasons why we planted the plant was because I wanted to only talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is the only thing good to talk about. And I begged him, Jesus, let someone meet you for the first time. And this young man meets Jesus for the first time in the first service. Jesus, be sanctifier. And I look around the room and see, and I see so many of your lives that is, are being transformed and, tra and changed because you are walking with Jesus. And then I say, Jesus, 
Be healer. I know I seem crazy. I know that there's a lot of churches that don't believe in your healing power, but I will stand on who you are and what you did in the Gospels is still alive today. And today we get to see a living, breathing miracle in Steve Nieves. That's who he is. He is healer. He can heal you emotionally. He can heal you, heal you spiritually. He can heal you relationally. And he can heal you physically. Why? Because we've seen it over the last 15 years. And it's been happening for over the last 2,000 years. In Jesus, by Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, he is our healer. And if you want to see and be a part of a community that is longing for Jesus to do his best, even in the Mawa area, this is the church that I want to invite you to be a part of. But it doesn't stop there. Because when we look at this passage, what we see in Acts chapter 1 is that there was this real fear. It's almost like coming to church and you come to church and, and you get the warm and fuzzies and the music was great. And, and hopefully the preaching was pretty good. You were with people you love a lot. And, and you're like, wow, I, I feel like I'm in the presence of God. God is up to something else. You're like, but I don't want to go home. That's how the disciples felt with Jesus. Don't leave us. Humanity wrestles with anxiety. Humanity wrestles with, with being left out. And this is what Jesus said in John 14 when his disciples were battling anxiety. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. It doesn't stop here. There's eternity. We will all die. We will all pass away. This life is it's short-lived. It's like a blink of an eye. My oldest is 25. I've been married for over 26 years. And it literally seems like yesterday that I just met Sue. It literally seems like yesterday that I was starting junior high. Does anyone feel me when I say that? <laughs> right? And the older you get, how does time go? It goes faster. But in the eyes of God... He created us for eternity. And he created a special place for us. And Jesus says, I'm going ahead of you so that you will be with me one day. In Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus, because of Jesus, we have life everlasting. And one day there will be an imminent return of Christ one day the trumpets will sound from heaven. One day the sky will open up. One day Jesus is coming back. And yet we don't talk about it. That jazzes me. That drives me. That pushes me that my friends who don't know Christ, that he has rescued me from darkness, that I can be present for those that I love more than anyone else so we could be in eternity forever together yes the gospel is for all but not all will receive it 
Many will allow their pride and their arrogance and their ego and their control to miss out on the very purposes they were created. Let me share with you a social dilemma. And it's a very interesting social dilemma. June 2023, the New York Times wrote an, an article on religion. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about me, you know that I got my doctorate in something called semiotics. Semiotics is a study of culture and how culture is shifting and always changing. And how literally culture tells, cultures tell what's going to happen next. And I really wanted to study this whole teaching of semiotics because Jesus said, watch for the signs of the times. Right? If you read, if you read the gospel, you say, Jesus says, watch. Watch for the future stuff that's going to happen. That's what semiotics is, watching culture. How do you make the never-changing gospel effective in an ever-changing culture? So the study said this. Christianity has a branding problem. That was the first line of the article. Christianity has a branding problem. And the branding problem is this, is that so many people are leaving the church. Now watch this. April 2015, April 2015, these are the statistics. 60% of Americans, at least once a month, would attend religious services. General speaking, religious services. So out of 10 people, 3 out of 10... I'm sorry, no, uh, that's 60%. Six out of 10, I'm not good with math either. Six out of 10 would attend religious services at least once a month. 42% of Americans would say that they were somewhat devout. That's 2015. June 2023. Look up here. June 2023. And I really went through the statistics because people love to skew statistics. 16% of Americans say religion is vital to them. Now stop right there. Keep looking at that. 2015, 42%. 2023, 16%. And only 30% attend religious services at least once a month or more. What did I say? 2015, 60%. Think about in the last eight years, what is happening to the religious culture in the United States? The foundation's gone. And I actually believe the reason the foundation is gone in Christianity is because we stepped off the foundation of who the church was built upon. I believe we got more caught up in political stuff. Do I get an amen? Amen. I believe we got more caught caught up in the social stuff. Do I get an amen? amen? And I believe we allowed circumstances globally to steal the foundation that the church is built on. Not was built on, but is built on. So I told you that a young man came to, came to Jesus for a service, and that is truth. This is what it says about Gen Z. This is what another article says. That right now, Gen Z is hungry to know who Jesus is. But here's my anger, and I haven't said anger in a long time. 
How is Gen Z going to ever know about Jesus if their parents don't know who he is? Do I get an amen? What about a Jersey amen? There we go. If you're new here, that's what amen means in Jersey. Uh Uh-huh. And so in this, in this, do you know right now, our daughter serves in Central Asia. Where they live, you are not allowed by the government to attend church if you're 18 years younger. If you're under the age of 18, you are not allowed to attend a service. They are trying to keep the next gen from hearing the good news of Jesus. And yet, Every single Sunday, we have the opportunity to have the freedom to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? And right now, Gen Z is crying out, I want spiritual life. But if you were to go to Ramapo Ridge Middle School, only 30% of those kids, maybe once a month, or getting a little taste of who Jesus is. That's a cultural dilemma. It's not a social dilemma. It's a cultural dilemma. And I believe that so many people are here today in our church. Not only here in West Milford. But who are part of this church family. Because they are tired of the wrong branding of Christianity, and they are longing to understand who is Jesus and who am I in light of him. Because nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. The only thing at the beginning of life and at the end of the life that really, really matters is one. And it's Jesus. Because in him and through him and by him, I am called a son of God. You are called sons and daughters of God. And if we are going to start this whole next season of our church off On the right foundation, it has to begin with being Christ-centered. Christ-centered and Christ-centered only. And I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to say it in the second service. People are going to want to know where we stand politically. Do I get an amen? Some of you are like, I'm out of here. Then go. Should I say that? I'm sorry. sorry. We're not about being that. We are about Jesus and Jesus only. And you are going to have to choose how you vote in view of who you are as a child of God. Because we are not a political entity. We are the church that is Christ-centered, founded on Jesus and Jesus only. He is Savior. He is Sanctifier. He is Healer. And guess what? He is our coming King. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this year more than any other year to allow Jesus to be all that Jesus actually is. 
if you looked at the stage this morning, I am the oldest person up here. Do you know that? Here they all come, all the young people. <laughs> Woohoo! 31 and younger. Wow. 32? Sorry, 32. God is up to something. And I'll use the word again. This is prophetic. You know what I love about this? You guys all come out here. Come out here. Oscar, come out here. Okay, sorry. Come out of the fish tank. Come on out. Come out of the fishbowl. Come on. Let's put our arms around each other. Let's have a kumbaya moment. Come here, Wilson. Come here. Look how beautifully diverse this is. This is the kingdom of God. Right? They're all like, what the? <laughs> this is the kingdom of God. That we are here and here only because we want to be a Christ-centered church. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources theplantchurch.org.